your bulletin this morning, you will see that we are going to be um, studying. Oh, it went away. Studying uh, a new name of God this morning. In the second paragraph, I put here some questions, and I want you to consider these with me this morning in the pastoral letter, second paragraph. What is the difference between being married and being a perfect spouse? Would you think there's a difference? What is the difference between being married and being a perfect spouse? Who in the room is married? Who in the room thinks they're the perfect spouse? Okay, so there must be a difference <laughs> because no one wants to say they're a perfect spouse. And most of them who say no, it's because their spouse is with them. Those of you who said yes, obviously your spouse is not here. <laughs> what is the difference between being employed and being a completely experienced and perfect employee. Who's employed here this morning? Great. Who is the perfect, completely experienced, perfect employee? Robbie, you better put your hand down. (laughs) I have no idea what he's talking about. (laughs) Okay, there's a difference, obviously, or your boss is here or whatever. Third, what is the difference between owning a house and having a perfectly clean house? Pretty great deal, would you agree? So, Here's the thing. What is the difference? One is secured by a contract. Put this here. The other is developed or pursued after the contract is secure. One is secured by a contract, and the other is developed or pursued after the contract is secure. You got the difference there. Then I say this. Similar is the difference between God's justification and sanctification in our lives. Today we will continue his series, His Name Is, and we're going to be learning a new name of God. And it is up here, and I will give you ten points if you could pronounce it right the first time. Hmm? Yeah, Mekadoshkim. Yeah, Mekadoshkim is, is about the way you would say it. Some, sometimes you see this written... M apostrophe Kadesh, like M Kadesh, but Mekadoshkim is the proper name. So I want you to write that down this morning. If you, if you will, take notes on the back of your bulletin. I always encourage you to take notes as we follow along and study God's Word. But this morning, I'm going to be piggybacking on the, on the, the message that Wade brought last week as he talked about Jehovah Sitkanu, the Lord, our righteousness. Because this morning, what we're going to be talking about is Jehovah, the Lord, Meshkodeskim, which is the Lord, our sanctifier. And we're going to be talking this morning about the relationship between the Lord, our righteousness, and the Lord, our sanctification. And the difference between justification, which is a word often we hear, and sanctification, which is another word often we hear. And there's good reasons we hear those words because they're vital in our Christian life and our Christian experience. And they're talked about frequently throughout the Bible. So I'm so excited this morning to be able to go to God's Word and to continue to dive in and push in deeper into understanding who the Lord is as He's revealed Himself in His names. Y'all ready for this? That sounds like an old Jock Jam CD. Y'all remember that? Y'all ready for this? (laughs) Anyway, continue on. Next slide, if you will. (laughs) We have uh, talked through extensively the names of the Lord, talking through Jehovah, El Shaddai, El, El Shaddai being the all-satisfying one, El Roy, God who sees, who sees me. There's never a time that we cannot 
be in a place where God doesn't see us and know us and be ready to meet us exactly where we are. We've talked through Jehovah Rophe, the Lord who heals, who turns the bitter into sweet, who brings His healing power into our life. Jehovah Jireh, the God, our God, our Lord, who is a great provider. That God who met Abraham there when Isaac should have been sacrificed, the Lord Himself provided a ram. And so also for us, though we should die, the Lord has provided His own Son, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, to give Himself so that we could live. Jehovah Ra'ah, the Lord, our shepherd, the one who leads us faithfully beside still waters, who leads us to green pastures, who satisfies our soul. And then last week, Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. And I'm so thankful for Wade and the strong word, the gospel message that he brought last week. The fact that when you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, that God gives to you, He imputes to you, He credits to your account the 100% glory of all of His righteousness, that righteousness that we need so desperately to be in perfect relationship with Him. God gives it freely, takes the righteousness of Jesus, perfectly earned, perfectly credited to His account, He takes it and gives it completely to us, while taking our sin from us and giving it to Jesus. That great exchange of 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of the most glorious gospel truths, that the Lord Himself is our righteousness when we put our faith in Him. Isn't that awesome? That gospel message. And then today, we look at a new name, the Lord, Mekadoshkim, remember? The Lord, our sanctifier. Continue on. So, context of Revelation. I've been trying to do this for you every single week because I want you to understand where these names are revealed. I don't just pull them out of my magic black hat, right? Or make them up. I surely couldn't make up a name like Mekadoshkim, okay? (laughs) I'm not that smart. For those of you who think that I am, I'm not. Um, These come straight from Scripture. And for this name of God, it is revealed to us primarily in Exodus and Leviticus. In fact, there's one instance in, in Exodus. That's the first revelation. And then there's seven instances in Leviticus. There's two more in Ezekiel, and you can see those on a few more slides. But primarily, the end of Exodus and then Leviticus, we see the Lord revealing Himself for the first time as our sanctifier. Now, this is really interesting and really critical as we understand the Lord and who He is and what He desires to do in us. And the reason is it's interesting is because of where it comes in the redemptive history of Israel. See, if you think about the history of Israel, where the Lord begins to reveal Himself as sanctifier is after, not before, but after, they have been redeemed. See, Israel is a type in the Bible. It's a symbol. They're a real country, they're real people, and it's a real history, but it's also symbolic of God's people, the church. And so what we see in Israel is the fact that they were, from the very beginning of Genesis, sin had crept into the world, the same sin that creeps into our own life by our own choice. We choose to disobey God. We choose to walk away from Him. We choose to do what He does not desire That sin separates us from God. That sin of Israel led them to captivity in Egypt. That is a picture of what sin does to us. It holds us captive. It holds us in bondage. It makes us enslaved. We become slaves of sin rather than slaves of righteousness. That picture of Egypt is the picture of sin. But yet what we see through God's revelation and through His redemptive work is that God does not leave His people there. 
but provides. Jehovah Jireh, He provides what is needed. He satisfies His own demands, right? And in a miraculous way, leads His people out of Egypt. Remember that great display with Pharaoh and his armies? He leads them out by parting the sea. The people go through, the enemy is destroyed, and now God has a people for Himself. You see where we are now? After the redemption, God begins to reveal himself as one who sanctifies. It's after salvation. It's after redemption. And in fact, the word sanctify is used 700 times in the Bible. But it is not used between the chapters of Genesis chapter 2 and Exodus chapter 13. Genesis chapter 2, the Lord says He sanctifies the Sabbath day. He sets it apart for Himself. But then after that moment, we see the presence of sin. The broken relationship with God. And it is not until after the people are redeemed and move back into relationship with God that God can reinstate His sanctifying work in their life. So the importance here is that it is after redemption. There's a great deal of difference between redemption and sanctification. Between justification and sanctification. The book of Leviticus. Alright? Are you all familiar with that book? Turn there if you will. And I want you to turn to Leviticus chapter 20. Because that's where we're going to be. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus in the Old Testament. The book of Leviticus is essentially about how a redeemed people how a people already redeemed are to walk worthy of the call that God has put on their life. How a people that are already redeemed are to live a life of spiritual worship to the Lord. It's a book about the practicals of everyday spiritual life with God. Y'all ever wondered about that? Ever wondered about, okay, Barrett, I get the whole salvation thing. You know, I'm a sinner. I'm a messed up person. I need to trust Jesus, but... It seems like there's this big disconnect between, you know, trusting Jesus. Every week, okay, trust Jesus. And I've already been saved. I've already been redeemed. But what am I supposed to do now? That's the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus is the practical how-to of what it means to walk worthy of the salvation that has already been received. See, the people had already been redeemed from Egypt. They had already been taken and covenanted as God's people. But now they they had to learn to walk with God. They had to learn to walk in a manner worthy of their call, as Ephesians 4, chapter 1 says. This is what Leviticus is all about. You understand it? So it's awesome. It is so awesome to me that in the book of the practical how-to of working out our redemption in our everyday life, in this book, in this context, God shows up and says, by the way, I'm not only the Lord, your righteousness, but I am the Lord, your sanctifier. I'm not only God who gives you what you need to be saved and imputes it to you freely and perfectly by your faith in me, but I'm the God who comes along you, beside you. I'm the, the God who comes within you to make you holy. See? This is awesome. And the context of it shows us how we see it. Leviticus chapter 20, verses 7 and 8. Everybody there? I'm not going to make you say yee-haw again. But we'll just go ahead and read it. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, the Lord says, and be holy, for I 
am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am Jehovah Mekodeshkin. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And in Exodus, we see a similar statement. Point of Revelation. Exodus chapter 31, if you'll flip there. I want you to mark these in your Bible or write them down in your notes because I want you to go back later and look at this and look at how it plays out in the greater context of Leviticus and Exodus and the life of Israel. Exodus chapter 31, verses 12 to 13. The Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel, and you are to say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between you and me throughout your generations that you may know that I am Jehovah Mekodeshkin. I, the Lord, am a sanctifier of you. Right? So you see the context here. Now let me break this down for you so that you can understand more of what this name actually means. And I've kind of hinted to it, but just so you remember, these are literal words that God is giving us. This is my name, like I am Barrett Bowden, and you are so-and-so, so-and-so. That would be a cool name, wouldn't it? So-and-so, so-and-so. God is saying, I am Jehovah Mekodeshkin. So Jehovah, remember, God who is. I am who I am. I am the all-eternal, the ever-existing one. I am the one who always has been, who is today, and who always will be. I am the Lord Jehovah, and I do not change. There is only one God, and it is me. I am Jehovah. Now, combined with Mekodeshkim, he's saying, I am God, this is who I am, and I forever have been, and I am today, and I always will be, God Mekodeshkim, the eternal Mekodeshkim. So what does it mean, Mekodeshkin? All right? I'm going to keep saying that. Eventually, you're going to go home this afternoon. You're going to be saying that during your afternoon now. Translated to English, it literally means sanctifier. Okay? I want you to write that down. Sanctify or sanctifier. Now, this is a word that's common. We hear this around Christian circles. And if you're new to church this morning or new to the whole Christian pursuit, you might hear words like this and go, that is just so like King James. I don't really understand that. This is the very reason that I don't like being in church because it's so impractical. Well, no, it's not. It's just words that we use to say things that are true, that are real, are meaningful. It means literally to make holy, to dedicate, to consecrate. Um, The thing that is consistent throughout, if you look at all the uses of sanctification, is literally to set apart, okay? Now, girls, this is like what you do when you go to the store and you get a new outfit, all right? Who goes, who, what girls like to shop? All right, you may not want to raise your hand. Anyway, if you're sitting by a guy, sorry guys. Um, but girls like to shop. My wife likes to shop. Now she'll go and she'll pick out a new cute little shirt. Everything she wears is cute because my wife is just adorable, all right? Thank you. Yeah, she listens online. That's why I say things like that. Um, but she goes to the store, picks out something cute. Now what she does when she picks out something cute is she will say, I'm going to save this for this date, right? She goes shopping with a purpose. She's got a wedding to go to in two weeks, and she wants something new for that wedding. So she goes, and she buys something, but she'll keep it in the closet for two weeks until when? The day that the event she set it apart for. Y'all got, you get that? Now, I have a place in my house 
that is set apart for my quiet times in the morning. There's a place that I just love going, and I love meeting with God there. It's a place that is a special place for me, for me to spend time with God. It's a place that is set apart for a particular purpose. Now, things, you understand this in your ordinary life, right? You set apart certain things, certain places, certain people for specific purposes. God says, I am a God who is a sanctifying God. I set apart. And what we're going to learn is he sets apart things for himself. He's a God who takes things, takes people, takes places or days, and he sets them apart for a specific purpose, and that purpose is for himself. 700 times in the Bible. Go on. What we see here, okay, translated here, these are, the, these are all the references, by the way, uh, every single reference of God, uh, Jehovah Mekadeshkim, God our sanctifier, they're listed here for you. Two implications of this. Number one is that God himself is set apart. And number two, that God sets apart. Now, those are two different. Number one, God himself is set apart. That's why in Isaiah chapter 6, what you see is a word we use a lot, holy. Holy, holy, holy is Jehovah of hosts. That's the word of Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. And typically, when you see the holiness of God, you see it in contrast with the filthiness of sin. With the unholiness of of all that is not of God. And that's why Isaiah, after he sees the holiness of God, woe is me, a man of unclean lips, who lives amidst a people of unclean lips. God is holy. He is perfect. He is good. There is no one like Jehovah. There is no one besides you. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. Hosea describes God as the holy one amongst you in chapter 11 of his book. So God is holy. He himself is above all. He is unique. He is different than all. He is perfect in all of his ways. His holiness is transcendent to all of his character. It overflows into all of his does and all that he does. In everything that God is and everything that he does and all of his intent and all of his purposes, he is holy. He is sanctified. He is different. He is unlike any other. He is perfect in all of his ways. Amen? But that creates a problem for us because we're so keenly aware that we are not holy, especially as we draw near to God. And one of the reasons that many of us do not draw near to God is because we realize, we recognize, ugh, he is so other than me. I am so unlike him. Because of my own sin, because of my own grossness, because of my own filth, I am unlike him. But the wonderful thing about God is not only is he holy, but he is a God that moves toward us and says, I offer you my holiness. He is a God who not only set apart, but he sets apart. He sets apart people. You think about Jeremiah chapter 1. He says that he has been set apart for a specific purpose to go and preach the gospel to a specific people. You think about the Sabbath day and all the festival days that God sets apart. The year of Jubilee that it it says that God sanctifies. He sets apart for a specific purpose. You think about the tabernacle and the temple and that place, that holy hill in Jerusalem that God says, I have set this apart for my presence. 
Actually, the word for tabernacle and temple most commonly used is mikdash, which is very interesting. It comes straight out of this. Mekadeshkin, mikdash. It's that concept of the place that is set apart for my presence. But what you also see in Scripture is that God has chosen to set apart His people for His presence and for His glory. Listen here. God has chosen to set apart you. If you are a redeemed person in the room today, if you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and received His perfect righteousness, credited to your account, I can tell you this with absolute confidence, that God has chosen you to work His sanctifying power in so that you might be set apart, completely set apart for Him. That you might be full of His presence. Set apart, just like you set apart a shirt for a specific purpose or a chair for a specific purpose. God has set you apart for a specific purpose and that purpose is that His presence might dwell fully in you. And He is Jehovah Mekadeshkim who actually has committed Himself to do the very thing that He wants to do in you, which is to make you like Him as He is. God is a God, the God, who changes you to be more like Him. Isn't that awesome? All right, continue on. His desire to be more and more like Him. All right, next slide. Now, I want you to see something. I want you to write this down. If you have a phone, if you have a pen, you have got to write this down. All right? So important. There is so much confusion in the Christian world today because there is misunderstanding of God's redemptive work in our life. There is misunderstanding. If you don't get anything else today, I want you to get this. This is so hugely important to understand God's redemptive work in our life. Three aspects. The first one is positional. Positional. Now, what this relates to is our justification. All right? So it's just a different way of saying our justification. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Behold, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. The first thing that God does in a heart, in a life, the first thing God needs to do is to restore a broken relationship. All right, now just write them down as I go through them because or else you're going you're gonna to not listen to me and just keep writing, all right? So just write them down as I go through. First thing that God does in a person's life and the first thing he needs to do is to restore a broken relationship. If I do something evil, wicked, sinful against my wife, all right, the first thing that I have got to do with her is to go and make things right. To go and say I'm sorry. To go and receive forgiveness. Before I can grow that relationship anymore, listen, she ain't going to want to go on a date with me until I come on my knees and say, oh, baby, 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 please forgive me. I was a stupid, stupid idiot, all right? Not that I've said that any time recently, all right? <laughs> but if I were to have to say it, that's probably what I would say. <laughs> of course I say it. I say it all the time. We, you know, we're sinful. We mess things up. When you have a broken relationship, the first thing that has to be done is to make the relationship right. It's a positional thing. There must be repentance and there must be forgiveness. There must be the removal of sin debt. And that is exactly what God does for us in Christ. In Christ, God is redeeming 
us, making our relationship right with Him. Everybody understand that? What He does is He offers in His love and in His mercy and His goodness, He looks at us and says, I love you. I love you so much that I'm willing to make this relationship right. But the only way it'll be right is if you repent of your sin and you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Because He has gone to the cross to take on your sin. He went to the grave to put it away. He rose from the dead that you might receive newness of life. If you unite yourself with Jesus Christ, you will be born again. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't involve you doing anything. It's about Christ and everything that He did. And it's given to you freely by His grace. That's the gospel. Amen? That's good news. Would you agree? That is positional. His first act of redemption in Christ is in our life when we trust Him. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, oh, I plead with you, receive the grace of Jesus Christ. Open up your life to Him. Call on His name and let Him save you. Just as the people had to be delivered from sin in a miraculous way from Egypt, so we have to be delivered by the grace of Jesus Christ. He has done it. Let Him do it in you. Okay? Now that's the one we're most common with. I mean, most familiar with. Secondly, we see progressive. The progressive work of redemption. Now this is the work of sanctification. This work of setting apart, of making holy of bringing us nearer to the heart of God. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. These are familiar verses. If you've got your Bible, I want you to go there real quick with me. And we can look at these together. Because it kind of highlights some of the differences here that I'm trying to articulate. The Word of God is just so awesome. And I love teaching God's Word. And I pray you love hungering and thirsting after God and knowing all of His redemption in your life. Verse 28 and 29. And we know, this is the one we're familiar with here, the first verse. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those who He predestined, He also called. And those who He called, He also justified. And those who He justified, He also glorified. What you see here is the love of God at work, His redemption at work in our lives, but happening in several different forms. He's redeeming us by making us right with Him that we're justified. He's also redeeming us to make us glorified with Him, which we'll talk about here. That's the permanent aspect. But in the meantime, He is doing what? Look at verse 29. He is conforming us into the image of who? Of His Son. That is the progressive work, the work of His sanctification. So God is not only the God who comes to us and makes us right by giving us His righteousness, He is also the God who comes to us and gives us Himself little by little, day by day, in order to conform us into the image of His Son. Not only does He save us and make us right eternally, before we've ever done anything good, before we've ever done anything worthy, but after we're saved, He continues His work in us as Jehovah Mekadeshkim to ensure that He that we grow day by day to become more and more like 
Him. He doesn't leave us where we are. He moves us back to that place that He originally designed us to be. This is His work of restoration. You see this. This is an awesome thing. And then third, what we see is the permanent aspect of His redemption. That permanent aspect, and we call this glorification. I won't look at it now with you, but in Corinthians, what we see is that when we meet Jesus, we will be like Him as He is. It's the message that's often heard at funerals. It's a message that's often uh, focused on toward the end of our life. It's the hope that we have that because we are truly redeemed, because God has put His presence in us through Christ, that we have a home secure with God in heaven. It's the promise that those who are in Christ will be with Him forever. It's the promise that God who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Amen? That is the promise of His glorification. Now, how do I make this practical for you? Who knows that we're going to be moving into a new building in about two months? Okay, fewer of you than I had hoped. (laughs) Oh, boy. Okay, guys, who knows, who's excited that we're going to be moving into a new building? Okay, yeah, there we go. I'm so excited. What a gift of God. I pray you're growing in excitement and starting to invite more and more people because this is just going to be an awesome gift, a place of ministry for our community, and we're so thankful for it. Uh, The work has begun there, and I don't know if you noticed, but there's a sign that just went up this past week while I was over in Asia. A sign went up. Some guys, some of you guys are here used more muscle than you probably wanted to ever use to get that sign into that rock-hard dirt. But there's an awesome sign that's up in front of the building right now that shows what that building's going to look like. Now look, I can take that building and I can make a little illustration for you about this, all right, to help you understand God's work of redemption. Because you understand the building process, I think you can also understand this. Now we have a contract on the building, right? We signed a contract with Osac St. Jude, about two months ago, and what that contract did was secure that building for us. That building became legally, technically, fully our building for use, at least for the next 10 years, hopefully 20 years, depending on the extension at year nine, all right? But at least for the next 10 years, that building is ours. Now, had anything been done in that building? No, it still looked like an old Gator retail store. Not a single thing had been done in there. It was just big old ugly building, all right? That is going to be ready for use for ministry soon. But at the time, the building was still ours, right? Now, out in front of that building right now, there is a sign that shows a picture of what that building is going to be. Y'all get that? There is a sign out front that says, Yo, ICC owns this building, and we're here to stay. Yippee, yippee, yay, yay. All right? And here's a picture of what this building one day is going to be, hopefully September, okay? So there's the building, fully secure, fully owned by us. There's a sign out in front of the building that says, we know it doesn't look like anything, but you just wait till we gator done, all right? It's going to look <laughs> great. It's going to look great, and here's what it's going to look like. This is going to be the permanent thing. Here it comes. But in the meantime, we're working on it. In the meantime, it looks like a work in progress. In the meantime, here we go, day by day by day by day, 
It's getting better and better. It's looking more and more like it will look. Track it with me. God's work of redemption is such that He gives you all of Himself for His full redemption. He purchases you by the blood of His Son. He makes you completely right and secures a contract with you when you place your faith in Him. He is yours and you are His. Your relationship is secure when you trust Christ. You are justified. In an instant, you're made right with Him. And you are considered perfect before Him as you forever will be. At the same time, He has promised for you that one day you will be like Him as He is, fully conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. In your actual life, in your actual body, in your actual mind, in your actual heart, look at the person next to you and pinch them and say, it's going to be your body. Say that. It's going to be your body. It's going to be you. One day, that is going to be fully conformed to Jesus Christ. Sin will be no more. Corruption will be no more. You will no longer live in a world of death, disease, and decay. God will enact His full redemption in you one day, and you will be glorified with Him, either when He returns or when He takes you home. Amen? But in the meantime, you ain't just sitting around waiting for it. How silly would it be if we had a contract on the building and a sign out front, but we never did any work on it for the next 10 years? It'd be silly. It'd be the same as silly as a baby being born without maturing. It's silly. Listen, in the meantime, God is working in our life to move us from the place that we began to the place He wants us to be. In the meantime, we experience Jehovah Mekadeshkim, the Lord, our sanctifier, who moves his spirit into our life in such a way that we become changed day by day by day by day. We see work in our heart. We see work in our life. We see him moving us to the place that he wants us to be. Praise God. Amen. You need to know this wonderful work of redemption of God, the work of sanctification. One more slide, and then I'll bring this thing. I'll try to land this plane, all right? I want you to write these down, too. You're writing a lot down today, but it's just all important. Understand the difference in justification and sanctification. Justification is positional. It's related to your position with God. You are no more right with God today than you will be in 10 years. You know why? Because what makes you right with God is not what you do, but what Christ has done. So you don't deal in all that guilt stuff, all right? Because you are right with God, not because of what you do, but because of what Christ has done in terms of your relationship. You are as saved today as you will be in heaven. It is secure. But sanctification deals with the practical. In terms of how this plays out, you need to become more like God because you ain't where you need to be. I had a little sign on my toilet growing up. You're going to consider this weird. It was a little cross-stitch sign right above my toilet when I was a kid, and I think my mom probably still has it in a scrapbook somewhere. But it said, please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. And it had a little guy fishing. I don't know why the guy was fishing. I guess because fishing is patience. I guess. I don't know. Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. All right? And I forever remember that little sign because it deals with the practical. 
We are saved. We're made right with God in an instant. But it takes a lifetime, doesn't it? For God to make you the man or woman that he wants you to be. Please be patient with Barrett. God is not finished with me yet. And you should have the same motto in your life. But you also should realize that practically, you should be becoming more like Christ every single day. Sin should have less power in your life. You should be more excited, more desirous of him every single day. Justification deals, secondly, with imputed righteousness. That righteousness given to you in an instant. But sanctification deals with actual righteousness, that righteousness that is actually experienced in your everyday life. So what I'm saying here is in sanctification, you're actually beginning to experience what you already are positionally in Christ. In your actual experience, you're, you're working out what you have already been given perfectly in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Thirdly, Justification deals with not counting sin. Sanctification, however, deals with not having sin. Psalm 103 says that that God has forever removed from us. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. He does not consider them. But who's going to say in this room that you, you no longer have sin? Nobody. So what are you talking about, God? He's removed our sin, but yet I live in sin? This is so confusing. The reason he says that he's removed our sin is because he's not going to consider it anymore because of Jesus Christ. But in terms of our actual experience, we can grow to a point where sin has less and less and less influence and impact in our daily life. Are you understanding that? Number four, position. Justification deals with position in terms of our relationship, whereas sanctification deals with participation in terms of his nature and his ways, where he is actually giving himself over to us in his ways and his nature. Justification means that we are without sin debt, but in sanctification we move closer and closer to the place where we are actually without sin. And lastly, in justification what we see is the elimination of the power of sin, and in sanctification what we see is the elimination of the presence of sin. And there's a huge difference Do you understand that when Jesus Christ comes into your life, the power of sin is no longer there. You are no longer enslaved to sin. You no longer have to say yes to sin. Isn't that good news? In Jesus Christ, God gives you the power to say no to sin and the power to say yes to Him. Therefore, in every single temptation, you cannot blame God Because you have the power in every temptation to say yes to Christ and no to sin. That's the work of Christ in justification. But in sanctification, he's actually taking the presence of sin out of your life as you yield yourself to the power afforded to you through Jesus Christ. You understand in this? A world of difference. Now, I'm about to land this plane. You ready for it? The question I have for you today is, do you know the Lord as sanctifier in your life? I believe there are a lot of Christians, even here today, I hope, well, every Christian here today, has known the justification of God in their life. 
that moment of trusting Christ and having his perfect righteousness given to you freely by your faith in him. But the Lord is not only the Lord our righteousness, Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord is also Jehovah Mekedishkin, the Lord our sanctifier. And just as a blacksmith works to purify metal by removing the impurities, so God, our refiner's fire, works to purify us in our heart, in our mind, in our life to make us more and more and more like Him. Do you know God as your sanctifier? Just because He saved you doesn't mean His standard of holiness has changed. God still looks at you and says, Be holy as I am holy. For I am the Lord who sanctifies you. The only way for you to be holy is to know that the Lord sanctifies you. (laughs) Because you can't be holy by your own work. You can only be holy by the work of the Holy Spirit in you. The Bible is full of this kind of talk in the New Testament. You must be a sanctified people. You must be set apart for God. You must be holy like Him. There is a holiness without which you will see the Lord. You must turn from sin. You must live for His righteousness. You must choose the right things according to His way. There is an expectation that those who are redeemed are sanctified. Do you understand? This is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Galatians chapter 5 talks of this, that this is the work of His Spirit to make you less like the world and more like Him. John chapter 17, Jesus says, Sanctify them in your Truth, your word is truth. So he makes us more like him through his word, through his spirit. Hebrews chapter 12 says that he chastises his children to bring about his holiness. One of the reasons that we experience discipline from the Lord, just as discipline from our parents, is why? To make us do the right things, right? This is part of his sanctifying work in our life. Y'all track it with me. We also do this through personal disciplines. There's a time to say no. There's a time to say yes. There's a time to train ourselves for godliness because we want to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. The best life is the life lived according to the way of God. It's the best. You are only experiencing part of the joy of salvation if all you know is the fact that you're made right with God forever. So much of the joy of salvation is available and ready for you when you say, God, make me more like you. God, I struggle with anger. God, I struggle with lust. God, I cannot seem to figure out how not to envy other people. God, why do I want to compete so much against my classmates? Why is that in me? Why is my heart not more dedicated just for you? God, at work, why do I struggle? Blah, 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 blah. All these things that we know about ourselves. Why do we settle for those things? Why do we settle for that sin? Because the Lord is Jehovah Mekadeshkin. He is the Lord who sanctifies. He's the Lord who not only saves, but gives himself to make us more and more and more like him. But you have to yield yourself to God and not to sin. You have to ask Him to do His work in you. 
You have to continue in faith and believing in His miracle just as you did when you were saved. Do you understand? Do you know God as Jehovah Mekadeshkin? On a daily basis, are you calling out to Him, Lord, purify my heart. Make me more like You. What is your sin this morning? What is that sin in your life that you just can't get rid of, that you can't seem to let go of, that, you, that just is entangling you, that seems to have more power over you at times than the promises of Christ? What is that for you today? What is that area of unbelief? I'm asking you today. I'm calling you today. I'm, ple- I'm pleading with you today. Let the Lord do His sanctifying, redeeming work in you. This is one of the reasons that Jesus Christ has died, is so that He might sanctify you. Hebrews 10, verse 14, in closing. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ, once and for all. And by this sacrifice, He has made perfect forever those who are being sanctified. By the blood of Jesus Christ, He has made us right with Him forever, but by the blood of Jesus Christ, He is also making us right with Him in our actual experience. Will you believe God this morning that God can change that area of your life, that sin in your heart, that sin in your life that you cannot seem to change, that you know is keeping you back, Will you allow God this morning to be Jehovah Mekadeshkin? Will you allow Him to purify you? I'm telling you, I'm a different man today than I was the day I was saved. In a million ways. And I look back at it and I don't know how else to explain it other than that the Lord is my sanctifier. Amen? Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. Call out to God today. Know Him as your sanctifier. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for Your Word. God, thank You so much for the reality of who You are. Lord, we long to know You as You are. This is the reason, Lord, that we have been created. This is the reason that we lived. And God, this is the reason that we have been redeemed. Lord, thank You today that You are Jehovah Mekadeshkim, that You are God, our Sanctifier. Because, Lord, this Word today meets us in our real experience. God, we are redeemed people. We are people who, thankfully, God, by Your grace, have been made right with You by Jesus Christ. But, Lord, You're not finished with us there. You gave Your Son to make us right, but You also gave Your Son to make us holy, to continue to set us apart in a million practical ways in our life, God. You want to do your work in us. God, in our relationships, in our experience, in our attitude, in our thoughts, God, you want to continue to purify us. God, this morning we're aware of our sin. We're aware of the areas of our life that we don't trust you as we should, that we don't obey you as we should. And Lord, this morning we want to believe you because you have told us that you can continue to change us to be more like Jesus. God, we want to showcase your glory to this world. And the way you've chosen to do that is by making us more like you, by sanctifying us. Do your work in us, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen.